We are looking at the book of Mark, and today we're adventuring with Jesus. We're adventuring with Jesus. And I recently was just reading on more recent church history. So I'm not, you know, often when you think of church history, you go back to the 1500s or you go back to the 1200s. Hey, what about going back to the 1970s? Now, most of us or many of us weren't alive. Some of us were. But many of us don't realize that in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, one of the strong moves that happened in the church was that the church began to feel a little insecure, that it was losing people. And one of the efforts that the church began to make was that the church began to try their best to make the message feel accessible and to feel, the big R word, relevant. And something interesting happened in the sort of church movement, which really started in America because most movements uh, in the church over the last 50 years have sort of started in America and they filtered down. And there was this church movement that was all about church growth and making it simpler to find and follow Jesus. And so less barriers to entry were put in front of people and consequently less challenges were given to people. One of the major questions in those days for many pastors, I'm not saying every church, I'm not saying the church you were in, I'm just saying that it was a trend, that the question was, how do we make this as easy as possible for people to find and follow Jesus? How do we make it simple? How do we make it accessible? And one of the very tragic things that happened was that in so many ways, the essence of following Jesus, which Jesus said himself would not be easy, got taken away. And it got advertised as easy, as doable. Pop up your hand in a meeting and then just keep pitching up and everything should be fine. And what a tragedy that so many people lost touch with the essence of actually adventuring with Jesus. And you know what? One of the most uh, important stats and, and things to understand about human beings is that although we think we would love to just sit on the beach sipping pina coladas for the rest of our lives, the fact is, is we really wouldn't. And we'd get bored quicker than we think, and we'd start doing stuff longing for things that put weight on our lives again. We're actually not as prone as we think to sipping pina coladas under uh, palm trees all our lives. We actually know that we want weight put upon our lives. I recently heard someone, a philosopher who's really smart, way smarter than I'll ever be, and he basically said this. He says, if the world in its present form could get to a kind of utop utopia where basically we, everyone has enough money, everyone gets enough education, everyone gets things perfectly how they want it. He says that he reckons we would, all, we would smash it all down and try to build it again because we love building and taking on challenges and starting new things. And I want to suggest to you today that the problem often in our faith is not that Jesus over-challenges us, but that actually we're a little under-challenged. And that he calls us to lots, and he gives you and I the dignity to say, come join me on an adventure. It's difficult. It's scary. But between you and I, we could change the world together. We could do something that will leave you a different person, and the world will be different. 
And I think that's what he's got for us. And I'm totally convinced, whether you're brand new to faith, you're still a skeptic, that you and I were not made for simple sitting in our chairs, keeping it easy. We were made for a radical, world-changing adventure from the king of heaven who's come to earth and he said, come join me, let's change the world together. I've already started it. I'm going to finish it. And you're part of the few chapters in the middle. Would you join me? And this is what we're about to read, another chapter in Jesus' world-changing adventure. If you remember last week, we're in Mark chapter 9, got your Bibles, open up. Great to have your Bibles at church, always helpful. We're in Mark chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 14. But before this, the three disciples, James, Peter, and John, have been taken by Jesus up a mountain. And they have seen something they never in their lives imagined they would. Jesus transfigures before them. I can't even imagine it. This beautiful vision of Jesus. One theologian says it's like Jesus for a few moments just breathed out and relaxed and let his glory shine before the world. And Moses and Elijah are up there and he has this conversation about the, the pending death on the cross that he would die to ransom humanity. And his three disciples get to watch this moment where Jesus asserts himself as heaven and earth's true Messiah to come, and he's going to do something big. And you can imagine these disciples, they're walking down the mountain after this encounter, but you can imagine they're almost floating down the mountain. You, you have a great experience. I mean, maybe it's the, like the first time I met Nick. And she actually greeted me back. You're like walking on, on air. You can't believe how good life would be. This is times that by a million. You have seen the Messiah in all his glory. And they come down the mountain from this glorious encounter. And let's read what happens. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I bought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. And it has often thrown him into the fire or, or, uh, or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained, exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your word. 
We pray today that as we walk on an adventure with you, that you would help us to see what the privilege and the possibilities are as we walk with you. This passage is loaded with uh, wonderful stuff, complex stuff, confusing stuff for that matter. And I pray that with the help of your Holy Spirit, we would be able to uh, cover as much as we can in a way that serves us to see you and to walk with you in this uh, wild and yet wonderful world that you've created. In Jesus' name, amen. So we were driving in my bucky. I've got a double cab, and um, it's about 11 years old, but it's tough as anything. Isuzu diesel. These things go forever. That's why I got it. And uh, we were edging down towards a little river, um, sort of down the Toys Cliff area. And I had the three girls in the back, and uh, they're fairly tough, but don't always love a hairy situation. And we basically thought, let's cross this river. Let's put this Isuzu to its test. It's spent too much time in suburbia. Let's take it to its natural space. And so we edged down towards this little stream, as we thought. And as I started getting closer to this stream, it started growing in my mind into a bit more of a river than a stream. And so I'm getting closer towards the river, and you can see the rocks, and it's, it, there's a road on the other side. So it's not just like, you know, cars have done this, but it's my first time crossing a river. So we're getting down closer, and as I get sort of right to the edge, and the front wheels are almost touching the water, I get cold feet. And I'm like, I don't think I want this. So I say to the girls, I don't think we should do this. And anyway, put it in reverse, and it's not moving. Even reverse and check again. And anyway, you know exactly what's happening. I'm shooting sand underneath me, and this soft, beachy sand next to the river is saying, Not gonna happen, Roger. So I'm thinking on my feet, and we're going, We've got a phone for help, or we're gonna get towed out, and I'm gonna be tail between the legs. I just don't feel like that. Long story short, I think, Okay, let's just cross this river. And uh, I can't, there's no way back. It, I've, I'd gone out to put stones under, tried all my MacGyver that I had, and I'm not good at MacGyvering, but I tried everything I could, wasn't going to reverse away. So let's go, let's cross this river. Big dad moment. Thank the Lord I made it across. And we get across, do a turn, and then we go forwards. Woof, and we make it up the hill on the other side. And every, well, two have already been crying, so everyone else is cheering. But through the tears, there is lots of joy that we made it across this river. You know, I go chat to a friend, and I'm like, what happened? I mean, this thing, it's got a diff lock. It's not a four by four, but like, it didn't feel that hectic. What's wrong? And he said this. He said, you didn't have it loaded up. If there's no weight on the tires, you're never going to get any traction. It needs weight. And the moment you put weight on the back, you get traction and you can drive out of almost anything. And basically, I learned a lesson about 4 by 4 but I also learned a lesson about life. How often our lives feel like they're spinning out of control and there's so much going on in our lives and we just feel like we're wheel spinning and there's so much spinning but not much movement, not much progress, not much internal growth. I think it's because we don't have weight on us. Now this is going to sound contradictory. You're going, I've got all the weight in the world. But have you got the right weight? 
Have you got the weight of a mantle of Jesus' love over you? A a calling over your life to to bring grace to the world, to bear suffering in the name of Jesus, to to be the kind of person who, who changes the world in the name of Jesus because you are a loved one, that you carry the weight of being a child who is loved by God, that you carry the weight of realizing that you have been saved by his grace and you live under that beautiful weight of his love. When you got that weight on you, and you got that responsibility that actually your time with Jesus matters, and your life actually matters, and you can make a difference in the world, you get traction. And when you get traction, you start to get on the adventure with Jesus. And I am embarking on a journey with us as a church that we are going to start to load some weight upon us. We are not a community, Rigby always used to say this, of bums on seats. We're going to sit, we're going to hear a good message, we're going to high-five, we're going to walk out, and we're going to just keep life as it was. Because it's not what makes us flourish. We need the weight of what it means to live with, to follow Jesus, and to begin to track his life and become like him. And so, welcome to the adventure of putting some weight upon our lives so that we get some traction in our lives, in a world that really doesn't have a lot of traction. That has a lot of wheel spinning going on, but not a lot of forward movement. Here's four things to expect on this adventure as God puts weight upon your life. First thing to expect is expect to feel the difference when you're walking with him versus when you're walking alone. Expect to experience some difference between life alone, uh, apart from Jesus, and life walking with Jesus. Did you pick that parallel up? You've got the three disciples who've been up on the mountain with Jesus who are in this kind of incredible, sort of floating on clouds experience, almost literally, and you walk down the mountain, and the first thing you pick up is the disciples were arguing, and there was this boy who was broken. It's such a beautiful descriptor of the life we live in, by the way. There's so much brokenness and so much complexity, and there's so many things going wrong, and you're going to walk out of church today, and you're going to face at least two or three things, either by memory, by visual sight, by experience, that are going to make you go, oh my goodness, this world is broken. My word, my life just isn't all together. And you've got this mountaintop moment clashing with these people who are arguing. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, he asks, what are you arguing about? You've got Pharisees, these people who are trying to you know, sort things out. And you've got the disciples who are well-meaning guys, but they can't fix it. And you've got this poor boy who's got the spirit in him that's unclean and causing him all kinds of pain. And you've got this dad who can't solve the problem. Sound familiar, dads? You feel like disempowered and you can't fix it. And you've got this contrast of walking with Jesus versus a bunch of people who just aren't walking with Jesus. Now, I don't want to oversell this, that if you walk with Jesus, he'll just fix every problem today. But it is a beautiful picture that Mark is trying to paint of what happens when the disciples are doing it all alone. The three up there are great. The nine down here are sickling. It is not easy. And he's trying to draw a parallel of the fact that these disciples, before the Holy Spirit had come to guide them and coach them like Jesus, would always need to be close to him, would always need to be in his presence to be coached through. How do we deal with this tricky situation? This dad who's struggling, this boy who's struggling even more, and these Pharisees who are giving us all kinds of social and societal pressure to solve this thing. Life is complicated as it is. 
Not to mention trying to do it without walking with Jesus. There's this beautiful parallel. The first weight that you need to put on your shoulder if you want to be a a follower of Jesus and you want to live the kind of life Jesus has for you, walk with him. The the beauty of the, the, the new covenant is that, yes, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, but at the same time, he poured out his spirit, who's the counselor, the one who comes alongside and he helps us. And if we would ask him and if we would walk with him, he will start to help us. Dads, looking at kids, you're going, how do I help my child? Jesus will help you. He's going to use his, his church. He's going to use his spirit. And he's going to coach you to become a, a good dad. And, and you may be looking at scenarios, spiritual powers, and you're going, I don't know how to deal with this. Invite Jesus in. Just like he comes into this scenario and he starts to coach them through this very complicated situation. I, I really just want to caution us in this moment to, to sort of dichotomize our lives. I've got Jesus in my church life, but then I've got work and parenting and all those things, and that's, that's a separate thing. No, you need Jesus in every single aspect of your life to be walking with him in every area. I heard one person describe life as walking with Jesus a bit like walking through a blizzard. And um, in the States, something interesting happens. Uh, they, if you've got a storehouse or a barn or something, they'll tie a rope between the barn and the house because they've found that so many people, when a blizzard comes over and you can't see basically more than this far in front of you, people lose their lives within a meter of their front door because they didn't know how close they were. And so they tie a rope and they make sure that they hold onto the rope because they know that at the end of the rope is the house and when they're in the house, they're okay. And sometimes we need to tie a rope to Jesus in our daily walks with Jesus. It's our morning rope where we wake up and we read the scriptures. It's our lunchtime rope where we maybe take a two-minute walk and we reconnect ourselves to him. And maybe it's evening reflections where we freshly again say, Jesus, how did my day go? What do I need to do to grow into your likeness? This might sound pedantic, but the great saints of the old have said, I am so prioritizing holding on to and walking with Jesus that I will do everything I can. Maybe it's starting with reminders on your phone. Three times a day, I need Jesus, and you slow down. There's so many great tools. Some people call it a daily examine, which is just to simply go, each day I've got these habits that help me reflect on how I'm walking with him day in and day out. Okay, next point. Expect him to call you to impact the next generation. There's two kind of sub-points in this, but I don't know if you noticed that. That Jesus comes down and there's this young guy who's really struggling and this dad who's struggling with his boy. If I had more time, I would get into all kinds of beautiful realities around the fact that if you want to follow Jesus, you need to notice that he doesn't just care for his own band of people. I'd love that thought that Jesus comes to the dad and he says, how long has he been like this? This is the son of God, the very divine Messiah, and he's got time to care for every generation. In a generation that really didn't uh, esteem very young people. But Jesus slows down. He says, how long has he been like this? And he starts to care for the next generation. Now, I know there's another question you're asking because it's a big one. There's a a, a spirit at work in this guy's life. What's going on there? I want to suggest a few things that are going on there. I think the one thing that maybe if you're a skeptic and you're looking in at the claims of Jesus, you're going, really? Do you, do you believe this stuff? And my answer is, yes, I do. And, and I would also say that if Jesus, who is the embodiment of God himself, has come to earth, you would expect this stuff to be seen the most. 
because the demonic realms would be most afraid and most aware of this. And, and this is happening right here. I really do believe that, that in this moment, a, a spirit has, has kind of taken over and began to try to manage a young person's life. It should make us aware of how much we should care for our kids, by the way. God has a plan for our kids, but so does darkness. So does evil want to uh, kind of hijack their lives. Maybe you're still a skeptic and you're going, what about the whole you know, realms of evil and Satan and demons and all that stuff? Well, C.S. Lewis simply says this. He says, it would be in his best interests, Satan I speak of, to make you think that he doesn't exist. He would love it for you to actually believe that he just isn't around. It would work out perfectly for him because then you keep on living like he doesn't exist and he can actually just tweak the dials as and when he wants. Now, it's important to understand that this isn't a 50-50 clash, good versus evil, who's going to win the day. That's not what the scriptures teach at all. We're going to see here that Jesus has all authority and is totally capable of bringing about a victory and casting the spirit out. But it's good for us to realize that it would be in the best interests of Satan and the whole Western world for everyone to go, no, man, that's just irrational. Who would ever think that? Spirits don't exist. You just got coincidence. Hey, by the way, you're in the minority if you do believe that. You're in a global minority that is so small. And I know we've got intellectual pride that makes us think that we're just so ahead of the rest of the world if we're in the West. But it's pretty naive to think that there aren't powers at work and that Jesus didn't come up against them and that he didn't beat them. I I hope that you can see that Jesus is all-powerful, but this stuff is real. And Jesus here is showing a deep interest and care for the next generation. And I feel that I have the privilege of my first years of ministry being in youth ministry. I happen to be a dad, and I am mad about the fact that we have a growing kids' ministry. 60 kids plus almost every week since we've come back from lockdown. Yahoo! Give it a round of applause. Think about that. That's amazing. 60 kids, and that's each week. I don't know what that represents uh, in terms of numbers. It's beautiful. Thank you, Lord. We get to love them. We get to nurture them. I, as a kid, was one of the worst kids rock kids you could ever imagine. I think I got rid of at least two or three leaders single-handedly through my personal behavior. I wear that badge with shame. But I think of guys like Dave Lawrence, who none of you would ever know. Maybe you do because you grew up in Durban. But he poured his life out, a businessman who gave himself Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to care for us, to throw balls at us because we didn't want to read the Bible, but he would throw with us and he would connect with us and he would build friendship with us and he would persevere and he would call my parents to get advice on how to help love us because we were so blimmin' terrible. (laughs) But he kept loving us. I've got a handful of pastor people who helped me, but most of the time it was friends and brothers' friends and siblings and uncles and uncles in the faith and fathers in the faith and people who dared to walk along me and just with me and go, we love you. And you're going to have ups and downs and you're going to be probably an awful teenager, but we still think God is on you. And we hope that you realize that there's nothing better you can do with your life than for one day for you to love and follow Jesus. 
And I had a handful of people in my life who I knew that their deepest desire was that I would know Jesus. And I ignored them for so long. But it's okay. They still prayed. They still cared. They still loved. Jesus cares about the next generation. Our culture wants our kids to care about career, to care about having their own choices, to having their own companions, earning their own cash, and getting success. And Jesus wants us to understand that our kids are about character and calling before companion and Christ before cash and success, and that we would help them to see this stuff really matters. And it's scary to know this, but more is caught than taught. They'll catch what we've got long before they do what, they, what we say. What have we got? What are we giving our kids in this next generation? Two short points. On this adventure, as Jesus loads you up, expect an inner clash between doubt and belief. This is really relieving, by the way, especially if you're new to faith, but maybe even if you're not new to faith, that you would realize that this, this, this guy who comes to Jesus says, help me with my kid. And we all feel that from time to time. Jesus, help me with my kid. Help me with my parenting. And he says, but Jesus, can you do it? And Jesus says, of course I can. As long as you believe. And then he says, but I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And there are times in our lives where we just struggle to believe and we've got doubts. Tim Keller gives two beautiful pieces of advice when it comes to your doubts. Firstly, interrogate your doubts. Doubt your doubts. Learn to look at each of your doubts about Jesus and don't pretend they're not there. Don't pretend they're a sin because your doubts are not a sin. Your doubts, says Tim Keller, are actually like antibodies that serve to strengthen your faith in the years to come. You see, we often think that doubts are a sin because if we pick up the rock and look what's under our doubts, we might actually think that we've got a house of cards under there, that our faith is not real and we're going to find God out. But Jesus looks from his, his throne and in his love and he goes, you can't find me out. I am watertight. There is nothing about me that I'm insecure about. Your doubts are only a product of your mind and your heart growing to learn and love me. So when you got your doubts, bring them to me. Bring them to community. Talk about them. Unearth all the rocks and let them become antibodies that strengthen your faith because each doubt that you interrogate will become a pillar, a stake in the ground where you learn who God is and how good he is and how much he can help you to really perceive who he is. Hey, doubt your doubts. Bring them to God. Bring them to community and let him grow you. Don't expect that you'll never have this clash. Don't expect that this won't happen. Every follower of Jesus will have doubts. Final weight that he wants to put on our shoulders as he grows us and strengthens us up is that we should expect Jesus to lift up. I intentionally didn't choose lift us up or lift you up because I expect Jesus will do both. Notice that beautiful ending. He does deal with that spirit, and there's this quite a dramatic encounter, and then right at the end, everyone's going, he's dead. And Jesus walks to the boy, and it says, he took him by the hand, and he lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. We should expect that Jesus would do a whole lot of lifting up. You could be following Jesus for years and you get in a rut and you're feeling like just it's not going great. Expect Jesus to lift you up. 
You could be in a marriage and your spouse isn't going great. Expect Jesus to lift her up. Bring her to him. Bring him to Jesus, whatever it is. You might have a child. Expect Jesus to lift him up. You personally might just be in a difficult position and you need to bring yourself to Jesus. Expect him to lift you up. And don't just expect that. Expect that you might lift others up. The wonder of Jesus on the cross is that he does two things. He brings grace to the world. He looks at us as broken human beings and he dies and he is lifted up on the cross. He's made a spectacle, all the shame, all the guilt that should be on us. He bears upon himself so that by faith, when you go to Jesus, you need to understand that horrible guilt that follows you everywhere, that terrible sense of shame that you just wish you could get rid of. You can. You can. I want you to think of the worst thing that you keep shoving under the carpet, sweeping it away, pretending it's not there. He bears upon himself by faith. Some of us need some counseling to really get that. We need time and prayer with our friends to really get this, to know that he has borne it on himself. He brings grace. He, he, re- he receives our sin and then he gives us this beautiful word of, you are my beloved. You're my beloved. I hope you know that this morning. You're his beloved. I'm so enjoying being back in person because I can look you in the eyes. And I can be a tiny representation of Jesus to say, you are his beloved. When you wake up tomorrow morning, no one is more intentional about your life than Jesus. And he wants to walk with you and he wants to lift you up. I don't know the weight you're bearing. I don't know the stresses you're carrying. He will lift you up. He wants to walk with you. Would you bring your life to him? Would you offer yourself to him day in and day out, hour after hour? We continuously say, Jesus, lift me up. I hand my life over. I make mistakes. You don't help me. Take my shame and give me your love. The beauty of the gospel is that he brings grace to the world, but he bears suffering as well. And your call in following Jesus is also to bring grace to the world. And sometimes to bear suffering. As you lift people up, it might be weighty for yourself. You might wake up a little earlier tomorrow because you've got a burden for a person that you need to pray for. And so you set your alarm because you bear suffering because you love that person. Because God's put something in your heart and it's not all about you. He loves you enough that you can bear some suffering on others' behalf. He's suffered so that you actually can also sometimes suffer. But you suffer joyfully, says the New Testament. Over and over, we get to bear some weight because he bore all the weight on himself. And that's what it feels like to load your bucky of life up and start to get some traction as we start to learn to bring grace because you've given us grace and to bear suffering because he bore all suffering. We're going to sing, I'm going to pray, and we're going to trust God that this goes deep. And that even as we sing this word of my beloved, it's not there, but just that Jesus would let you hear that, with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would know you're his beloved, that he cares for you. Let's pray. 
Maybe stand with me, just as a sign of you saying, Jesus, I trust you. If you want even, just to pop your hands out as a symbol of saying, I, I'm empty-handed. This is not me who lifts me up. This is you. Jesus, as we come to you this morning, we don't come as strong people who've got it all. We don't come as people who've got more to do. We come as people who want to be your beloved. We don't want to be identified by the jobs we have, the families we are a part of, the image we've created. We put that down this morning. And we receive your love. Genuinely think this morning some people are coming back to Jesus or even coming to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're eyes are closed and I'd love you to keep your eyes closed but if you would like to just say I'm coming home it's been too long I'm coming home to Jesus I've tried to do it all my own way I've tried to go my own path but I need God this morning I need his help it's really simple you don't come with fancy prayers you don't come with any offering of your own you just come and say God I need you Jesus, you bore the suffering I should have borne and you bring the grace that I need. Can you say that to Jesus? Thanks for bearing my suffering and thank you for bringing grace. And Jesus, I turn towards you now. I turn away from my life of being in control and being in charge. And I hand control over to you. And now I ask you to help me to understand what that means in the days and weeks and years to come. But I know I need you. I know I need you. If you pray that prayer, it's your faith that connects with Jesus' love. And he will start flooding you with fresh grace. Even now you can feel it. Many in the room, you can feel the kindness and just the grace of God. He's loading you up for adventure. He's loading you up for, for becoming a person who knows how to be before you do. To be loved before you're a lover. Just receive his love. Jesus says we sing. We're not paying you anything. We're just receiving your kindness. We're just saying yes to adventure with you. Presence to be with you. Formation to become like you. Mission to love like you love. Teach us to do that. Let's sing.